1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: Yeehaw!
3: Saddle up, partners, with a D. No, I'm not a 1980s disc jockey from the West Midlands. I'm a rooting, tooting cowboy type, as mean as the gullet on a rooster or something. That's how cowboys talk, right? I'm sorry, I know this fabulously authentic impression of a cowboy is blowing your minds right now, but don't tune out just yet, because this is me, Adam. I'm doing a flawless impression of a cowboy. Flawless. That's to mark the fact that later on I'll be telling you about a western I like. Yes, it has happened! I have gone and watched a western and enjoyed it. So I'm all rooting and tooting now. I'm not quite sure what rooting and tooting actually means. I mean, rooting, that sounds like you're pulling something up by the roots, a bit like weeding. And tooting, in Britain anyway, is the act of passing one's own gas through one's, from one's, uh, you know to expel gaseous fumes from one's lower half. So basically, when you hear a cowboy describe himself as rootin' tootin', you're basically listening to a man describing himself as weak in the intestinal area and somewhat fond of gardening. I digress. Anyway, welcome to the show. Lovely to see you all. I'll be telling you all about the movie that transformed me into an honest-to-goodness cowboy later on, along with a noir thriller that's basically a horror movie too. Chilling stuff but we'll get to that in a bit. First up, let's trundle along in our wagon-mobiles out across the trail of the Lonesome Pine, poor old Pine out there on his own, in the company of Dinah Shaw and Buttons and Bows Yeehaw. East is
1: east, and west is west, and the wrong one. Let's go where I'll keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows. Don't bury me in this prairie, take me where the cement grows. Let's move down to some big town where they love a gal by the cut of her clothes, and I'll stand out in buttons and bows i love you in buckskin and skirts that I've homespun. But I'll love you longer, stronger, where your friends don't tote a gun. My bones denounce, the buckboard pounce and the cactus hurts my toes. Let's famose where gals keep a using those silks and satins and linens that shows. And I'm all yours in buttons and bows. <laughs> And those silks and satins and linens that shows And I'm all yours in buttons and bows Silks and satins and linens that shows And I'm all yours in buttons and bows Gimme eastern trim and women are women in high silk hose and peek a clothes And French perfume that rocks the room And I'm all yours in buttons and bows Buttons and bows Buttons and bows Girls And flowers and buttons and bows Rings and things and buttons and
3: bows And that was Dinah Shaw with Buttons and Bows from the movie The Pale Face. Wonderful stuff. Got a few things to tell you about. The full lineup of the film festival is out now at Patreon, so if you're a patron, do go and check it out. Seriously amazing lineup of movies this time. We've got a biopic section, a film noir section, a silent movies section, a section dedicated to Joan Blondell, another dedicated to Joseph Cotton. We've got pre code shockers thrillers that'll raise your heckles much more go on over to www.patreon.com slash attaboysecret to check it all out and mark the dates in your calendars saturday october 24th is open day you're all welcome in sunday the 25th of october is patrons only day and yes we are climaxing the weekend on sunday with a screening of yes the brighton strangler will be headlining the bally thing see you all there When it comes to podcasts, I've been a very busy boy lately, so I need to call out where I've been a popping up. I discussed the 1932 Cary Grant pre-code film Hot Saturday on the Lions, Towers & Shields podcast with host Shelley Brisbane and guests. Lovely to have been invited there, and the show's a good'un. So go look for episode 16 of Lions, Towers & Shields if you want to hear yours truly. I am on the upcoming Halloween special of the Here Lies Amicus podcast, chatting to Kev Moore and Gabriella Masson about the spooky, kooky, ealing horror portmanteau classic. Oh, draw breath, Adam. Dead of Night, so keep your eyes peeled for that, bad boy. I pop up very briefly on a very new podcast, Dear Rowan, which is created by my good friend Jay Rickard. It's a show delving into movie history, framed as a letter to Jay's infant daughter, so kind of a document for when she's grown up. Beautiful concept. And I play the role of Eric Portman in the first episode, so go check that out. And finally, I have decided to bite the bullet and become a regular co-star in a new podcast each and every time with a good friend of mine, Smokey, who many of you will know from the Film Club Evenings. The podcast is called All the Best Lines, it's out now, and each week... Smokey, who is a craven novice when it comes to old movies, tells me the kind of modern movies he likes, and I suggest an old movie equivalent, in the hopes that he'll develop as much of a love for classic cinema as I have. I won't go on about it at length, but if you like this show, then I'm sure you'll also like All the Best Lines. So that's a new show you can go and grab now. I love it because I don't have to do anything except turn up and talk. No editing, nothing. It's all Smokey's responsibility and a darn fine job he's done, too. It's a rootin' tootin' job he's done, in fact. Don't worry, he bleeps all the tootin' out. Check it out. All the best lines available now. When I was shouting out podcasts the other week, I did inevitably miss a few people out. So I want to give a quick call-out to my friend Dom and his show Soho Bites. I've been on it a few times, a great show. Most recently, I was his guest on episode 15, talking about the Windmill Theatre, so do run on over and check him out. Any more for any more? Yep, just have to say a hearty congratulations to the FilmGuff podcast for hitting their 100th episode. Wonderful show, check that one out. (laughs) I'm actually on that 100th episode too, I think. (laughs) My goodness, recently I've cluttered up more podcasts than stamps.com. I'm like white on rice. My apologies, you're going to be sick of me soon. Tell you what, let's find out who the winner of the competition is, shall we? If you remember last time, the prize was a signed edition of Martin Turnbull's new book, The Heart of a Lion. A dramatisation of the life of MGM Uber producer Irving Thalberg. Lots of entries, the answer was, of course, Norma Shearer. And the winner of the Heart of a Lion is... The printout comes from the random computer generator-con machine, Simon Ellis. Simon, well done. A copy of The Heart of a Lion will be winging its way to you very soon. My huge thanks to you all for entering, and do remember, that just because you didn't win doesn't mean you can't rush out and order a copy of the book for yourself. My thanks also to Martin Turnbull, lovely chap, for supplying the prize for us. Simon, send your address along to adam at attaboyclarence.com, and your prize will be with you soon. Now, before we head into some reviews, let's slip away, and indeed around, with Margaret Whiting and Jimmy Wakely.
1: Seems we always have to slip around To be together, dear Slipping around Afraid we might be found I know I can't forget you, and I've gotta have you near But we just have to slip around and live in constant fear Oh, you're tied up with someone else, and I'm all tied up too I know I've made mistakes, dear But I'm so in love with you I hope someday I'll find a way to bring you back to me And I won't have to slip around to have your company someone else and I'm all tied up too. I know I've made mistakes, dear, but I'm so in love with you. I hope someday I'll find a way to bring you back to me.
3: And that was Margaret Whiting and Jimmy Wakely slipping around in each other's company. Perhaps the most jolly song ever written about doing the dirty on your partner. Let's talk movies, shall we? Westerns, then. A film category I've always struggled with, and I know I'm not alone. If ever a type of film was stereotyped, then it is the western. Instantly our minds produce images of cowboys spitting into spittoons from great distances drawing on the count of ten, being surrounded by Apaches. I think the issue most have with westerns is that there's a feeling that if you've seen one, you've seen them all and maybe that's due to the gargantuan number, of not just A-list westerns from the golden age, but also the infinite number of B-grade program fillers too. I have a good one to tell you about today, so cock your hats and ride them silver, all the way across to where the coyotes howl and the wind blows free. I really can't pull this off, can I? No one did Tales of Valor quite like Warner Brothers, I mean when you boil it down to its essence, even the likes of The Public Enemy and Casablanca are selfless yarns about sacrificing your heart and soul for the greater good. And so in 1941, when Warners decided to make a film based around General George Custer's last stand at Little Bighorn, they were always going to throw the absolute kitchen sink at it. The result was they died with their boots on, something of an epic not just in running time but also in storytelling and spectacle. Starring Errol Flynn as Custer, with Olivia de Havilland as his wife Elizabeth, and alongside them, Arthur Kennedy, Charlie Grapewin, Gene Lockhart, Anthony Quinn, Stanley Ridges, Hattie McDaniel, and Sidney Greenstreet. And here's a clip.
0: Welcome to West Point, sir.
4: May I direct you to the Commandant? Yes, if he's the proper person for me to see. I'm Mr. Custer, George Armstrong Custer of Monroe, Michigan. I've been appointed to the Academy as a cadet. Welcome to West Point. Nice work, Sarge. Dismiss the guard. Well, what are you waiting for, Sharp? Take charge of this man. I'll show you to your quarters, Mr. Custer. Would you be kind enough to follow me? George. What about these hounds? Oh, don't worry about them. They'll follow me.
3: George Custer is the worst damn cadet at the West Point Military Academy, the proof of which lies in the many, many demerits he attains while going through his training. But his superiors are convinced that within this rough diamond lies the beating heart of a true soldier, one that's able to inspire the men to do their best even by unorthodox means.
4: George Armstrong Custer. Well, there's nothing inconspicuous about him, is there? No
0: sir, nothing. Nothing at all. He has no regard for discipline, organization, or tactics. And as for his record, George Armstrong Custer has the lowest marks and the highest demerits of any cadet who ever attended this academy including Ulysses S. Grant.
4: Hmm. wonder what happened to Grant. Well, what about Custer? He's the best rider and the best swordsman we have. He seems endowed with a singular aggressiveness. A uh, singular aggressiveness? Yes, the type that wins brawls, not battles. I tell you, sir, if you... What is your opinion of his quality for command? The squadron would follow him to hell.
3: At the Battle of Gettysburg, Custer finally distinguishes himself and passes from the service as one of America's legends. But the life of a civilian only drives him to drink and it isn't long before his wife Elizabeth realizes that without the military, Custer will stagnate and wither.
5: George will never be himself out of the army. He's not happy, even though he pretends to be. Oh, General Scott, can't you put him back into active service?
4: My dear, I know what eats a man who has endured the tension of war for years. It's like a drug, that tension. A man can't live without it.
2: Oh, please, General Scott. Please.
4: Mrs. Custer, I'm bound by the rule of seniority in making appointments. The rule of the army. Time is the healer. Time will cure him.
5: No, no, it will destroy him.
4: There's something you haven't told me, isn't there?
5: It's very difficult for me to tell you this, but I'm afraid. He's been drinking so much. Much more than he knows. Oh, I see. I can't bear to think of him in degradation. Oh, General Scott, you've got to do something to save him. We owe him so much. All of us. There, there, my dear. You're quite right.
3: Custer is given the commission of Lieutenant Colonel in the West Dakota Territory and arrives at Fort Lincoln to find the troops there are a drunken, rowdy bunch. Through discipline and determination he whips them into shape despite the machinations of his former arch enemy, Ned Sharp, who would rather the men at the fort keep drinking his booze and that the Native Americans there keep buying his rifles.
4: I have to admit that what Mr. Sharp says is perfectly correct. I've no legal reason to close this bar, none whatsoever, and I won't. Providing Mr. Sharp doesn't mind being taken by the scruff of his neck and slung clear through that mirror every time I find it open. Commencing one minute from now. Custer
3: is sworn to have his way, though, closing the bars for good and halting the arms trade. Alongside these new mandates, he builds the skills, strength and reputation of his fighting force, known as the 7th Cavalry, and wins peace on the plains by brokering agreements with the Indians there, led by Crazy Horse.
4: Hear me now, long hair. If this word broken now, not only Sioux, but the Cheyenne, the The many countries, the Blackfeet, the Sands' and every living tribe between mountains and great waters will gather in one last battle. It will be the end of themselves, their gods, the spirits of their fathers, and of their enemies. Crazy Horse spoke.
3: But it isn't long before Ned Sharp, along with the powers that be, decide that the land deeded to the Indians could be put to better use for the government, which leads Custer to a fatal last stand in order to uphold the promises he's made. So this is a very good example of what I was talking about earlier in that when you think of westerns, you conjure up a mental image of cowboys and things, and yet this movie, essentially a war drama following the exploits of a man and his romances and struggles against authority, is technically a western. It's an epic too, this thing is two and a half hours long, which initially caused me to wince in agony, but as the story played out, I really did find myself wishing it would never end. The beating heart at its centre is the romance between Custer and his wife Elizabeth, played by Flynn and Olivia de Havilland, in their eighth and final movie together. Kind of fitting that this is their last ride out together too. As much of the film is given over to the long goodbye between the characters and Custer's own infamous tragic end. Now, I'm a huge fan of a training montage. I love seeing a recruit at the beginning of a movie going through his basic training under the watchful eye of authority and using his own unique rascally methods to become maybe not the best student, but certainly everyone's favourite. They Died With Their Boots On is the template for that character arc. The scenes at West Point where Custer becomes a soldier are wonderful and absolutely necessary when it comes to his relationships later on in the movie. You meet all the characters that make this story fly, including the villains, And the comrades. The second act is Custer becoming a war hero by fair means or foul, establishing the name that he holds so dear, and it's thrilling stuff. Action packed, very witty, and not drawn out, thankfully. Battle scenes for me tend to become a bit of a bore, but this is all short and sharp stuff and incredibly well staged. It was at this point in the movie that I began to realize that Warners must have spent an absolute fortune on making this film. The third act sees Custer, now retired, drawn back into the action as he takes up the position of Lieutenant Colonel and head of Fort Lincoln. And it's here where we meet the Indians and their chief Crazy Horse, played by Anthony Quinn. Events then turn into a series of power games and intrigue as Custer tries to whip the drunken soldiers there into a fearsome fighting force, all while his efforts are being undermined by the nefarious Ned Sharp, played by Arthur Kennedy and one of Custer's former foes from his West Point days. This third of the movie is where the magic really happens, and it's also why the epic scale of this film really works. The time taken over building these characters up from the dust pays off handsomely here, and it builds to the film's crescendo, an overblown yet devastatingly emotional last stand at Little Bighorn that is a masterclass in movie magic. There is a scene towards the close of the story in which Custer says his final goodbye to Elizabeth, knowing full well that he is riding out to a suicide mission, and it is just perfection. The music swells at just the right moment. The performances between the two are majestic and heartfelt. And because we really understand and love these characters by now, its emotional weight is multiplied by a billion. It is dynamite. I actually said the word wow out loud when it played. They Died With Their Boots On might be a difficult sell. It's long, it's a biopic, it's a western, it's a war movie. It's certainly not factually accurate, painting its truth in very broad strokes, but as an adventure movie, as an action movie, as a thriller, as a romance, it hits every note perfectly in that way that only old hollywood could do it's a must see a very nightmarish noir next in fact the clue is in the name i couldn't go another week without telling you about nightmare alley from 1947 directed by edmund goulding and based on the novel by william Lindsay gresham and starring tyrone power colleen gray Joan Blondell, and Helen Walker. Now, we all know that noirs are supposed to be very dark affairs, but brother, you ain't seen nothing yet. Prepare for some very dark
2: shadows.
4: I must ask you to remember that this exhibit is being presented solely in the interest of education and science. Uh, this creature, there he is, the geek. He has puzzled the foremost scientists of Europe and America. Is he the missing link? Is he man or beast? some have pronounced him man but beneath that shaggy mane of hair lies the brain of a beast look if he should as much as sink his teeth into my arm nothing on this round green earth could save me now folks it's feeding time
3: the story follows stanton Carlyle, known as stan an ambitious carnival barker who part romances and part swindles the secret of an incredible mind-reading act from its owner, Mademoiselle Zina, played by Joan Blondell.
4: She sure knows how to put on an act. Sure does. Too bad she's tied up with that rum-dum. Why? Well, she could grab herself a smart guy and make the big time in no time. But
5: she's already been in the big time. She and Pete used to be one of the biggest headliners in vaudeville.
4: Not with that act.
5: Uh-uh. Pete stayed in the audience. He never came near the stage.
4: But how could they do that? How could he tip her off to anything?
5: They used a code, silly.
4: Code? Next what kind of a code?
5: A word code between the two of them. You know, Zena says that blindfold code is worth its weight in gold.
3: The only thing holding Stan and Zena back from taking the trick to the big time is Zena's alcoholic husband, Pete, a yoke around Zena's neck who can't leave him to his demons. However, one night, fate throws Stan a chance to free Zena from Pete for
4: all time. I seem to have dropsies tonight. Yeah, I heard you the first time. Look, Pete, I'd like to help you, but I don't want to get in touch with Zena. You won't. You know me, Stan. I wouldn't tell anybody never.
3: With the incredible mind-reading trick in his pocket, Stan unceremoniously dumps Xena in favor of beautiful young trapeze artist Molly, played by Colleen Gray, and it isn't long before they're hitting the big time with Xena's trick. It's then that psychologist Lilith, played by Helen Walker, turns up, spotting Stan's ambition and offering him the chance to make some real money by using his powers of persuasion to fleece the fortunes of the recently bereaved, pretending to be empowered by the hand of God. But such sacrilege will come with a very dark price. Are you
4: crazy?
5: No, I'm not crazy. Just plain scared.
4: Scared of what?
5: I don't know. I I can't explain it. But I feel... well, you're going against God.
4: How do you figure that? Do you think I'd be getting all those letters?
5: That's what makes it so terrible. Everything you say and do is so true and wonderful, and you make it sound so sacred and holy, when all the time it's just a gag with you. You're just laughing your head off at those chumps. You think God's gonna stand for that? You want him to strike you dead? You can't do it, Stan. Nobody's ever done it, never.
3: Might seem like I've spoiled the whole movie there for you. I truly have not, I promise you. There is a world left in there I haven't even touched upon. This is an incredible piece of noir cinema. Even in the broadest daylight, you will still feel the damp chill of those shadows, and not the one caused by the lack of light. More the shadows that spill uncontrollably from the black heart of Stan. A reprehensible character, for sure. Drunk on greed and helpless to prevent himself from being seduced by the law of wealth and fame. It is a towering performance from Tyrone Power. Honestly, he's so good in this that I find him difficult to watch at times. It's one of those tales that you watch in morbid fascination in order to see if someone can go even lower. Inevitably, he does. When I tell you that Stan sinks lower than you've ever seen, I'm not exaggerating. Except as evidence, the final scene, one of the most shattering resolutions in noir cinema. I have to say, I was equally enthralled by the ending, as I was kind of disappointed by it too. I won't spoil what happens, but you just know that this movie would have seared itself into your heart even more if it had ended about 30 seconds before it does. Indeed, once you've seen the film, I do recommend you read the original book, where you will discover that originally, the tale was meant to end on an even bleaker note. I think it should have been slightly more brave and matched the book's ending, if I'm honest. I think it would have provided an incredible circular rise and fall tale that would have propelled this into a different league. That said, it does still pack a huge wallop. I am dying to tell you about what happens and what happens to who, but the exhilaration from Nightmare Alley comes from watching it in horror, unsure of what on earth's coming next to fill such a morbidly fascinating story with some of the greatest players in classic Hollywood, and you have, in my opinion, one of the best noir thrillers ever made, a dark piece that will horrify you at times. By the time you reach the third act, this truly becomes something blood curdling. It's a brilliant, brilliant movie. If you've seen it, I'm sure you'll agree. If you haven't, then I'm here to tell you that it will be playing at October's Film Festival on Sunday as part of the Dark Truths section. This thing is going to blow your mind. Well, here's where I'd usually introduce a radio version of Nightmare Alley, but in all honesty, I think you need to see it at the Film Festival, as it's glorious to behold, so we'll switcheroo back to they died with their boots on kind of a bizarre radio curio today actually this was a show broadcast on the cavalcade of america radio show in 1941 part radio play and part promotional radio presentation for the movie they died with their boots on this is not a straight linear story but instead errol flynn starring in a selection of scenes from the movie It's quite an interesting listen, actually, if only to hear the ways in which studios used radio to advertise their movies. So we'll ride on over to Cavalcade of America now, in the company of Errol Flynn. I'll see you afterwards.
0: The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by Dupont, presents Errol Flynn in a radio adaptation of Warner Brothers' latest motion picture. They died with their boots on. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Clayton Collier. Tonight, by special arrangement with Warner Brothers Studios, we bring you Errol Flynn in scenes from his new motion picture, They Died With Their Boots On. A picture co-starring Olivia de Havilland, which will be released soon throughout the country. This imaginative screen treatment of a great American soldier, General George Armstrong Custer with its vivid theme of undying heroism, is presented by the Cavalcade of America tonight as DuPont stars Errol Flynn in his latest colorful screen role, General George Custer in They Died With Their Boots On. Monroe, Michigan, a middling town in the middle of the country. It is the year 1866. At breakfast in a middling household sits a demobilized soldier of middling rank.
4: He is talking with his wife. You look well, darling. Trip did you good.
5: Thank you, General Custer.
4: Captain Custer, now, Libby, you're forgetting.
5: Aren't you going to ask me about Chicago, Captain?
4: Nope. I'm waiting for you to tell me.
5: Well, I dropped in on Uncle Phil Sheridan for just a moment.
4: Oh, how's the old general?
5: Thinking of you. As always, George. And he sent you a present.
4: Well, that was nice of the old gentleman.
5: Here it is, General.
4: Thank you, my dear. Why, look at this. It's a watch and chain. To Major General George Armstrong Custer from his old Michigan Brigade. They haven't forgotten me after all, Libby.
5: (laughs) Silly, how could they? After all, it was you who made heroes of them at Gettysburg.
4: But they were great boys. Great days, too, Libby.
5: You do miss your soldiering, don't you, George?
4: No, no. I'm happy enough. There are thousands of regiments, darling, but there's only one you.
5: Spoken very gallantly, sir. You want to look at your mail now, darling?
4: Yes, guess so. Get it over with. The General's Morning Mail.
5: Oh, what's that one there? That looks terribly official.
4: Yes. The empty they are, the more official they look. <laughs> Dear Captain Custer, at the suggestion of the Secretary of War, I am Libby. What? Libby, I'm on the active list again. Lieutenant Colonel to command a regiment of cavalry in the West. Oh. It says they passed up fifty senior officers, including lieutenant generals, to give me the job.
5: Oh, darling, I'm so glad for you. It's
4: a pretty wild country, though. The railroad doesn't go that far. Go part way by wagon, and oh, Libby, do you mind very much?
5: Mind? This is the first time I've seen you really happy for years. Oh, darling,
4: action, action at last! I, Libby. That trip to Chicago, you didn't arrange this whole thing through your uncle Phil Sheridan, did you? George.
5: How can you see such a thing?
4: Well, I know, but well, maybe somebody in Washington remembered Gettysburg. You couldn't forget Gettysburg in 3 years, could you? Nobody could.
5: Of course not, darling. Nobody could. <laughs>
4: are, folks. This here's Fort Abe Lincoln. Fort Lincoln? But where's the sentry? Where's the guard? That's them over there on the porch of Sharp Saloon. Guess they don't know who you are. If you hadn't told me, I wouldn't have taken them for caberman. Look, uh, go and bring that lieutenant over here, will you? Uh, Yes, sir. Looks like I'll have to leave you for a few minutes, Libby.
5: It's all right, dear. I can manage. Uh,
4: Lieutenant Roberts, sir. Sorry you find us in such bad order, sir. Lieutenant, would you mind telling me why there's no guard out to meet me? Why are the men in that saloon instead of patrolling the wagon trail? There's a sewer on the warpath, sir. Our orders ought to pull up here.
2: Hmm.
4: Well, the fort's not here to protect the regiment, Roberts. The regiment's here to protect the wagon trains going west. I know, sir, but you see how it is since Mr. Sharp opened his post here. Sharp? Who is this Sharp? I thought he just ran the saloon. Oh, he sells liquor to the regiment and rifles to the Indians. I see. Well, we'll put a stop to that right now, Lieutenant. Come along with me, will you? I want you to introduce me to this Mr. Sharp. Yes, sir. He's over there now. You see, sir, we're most of us newly mustered in. We haven't had any commanding officers yet. So oh, I see. Here's the place, sir. We're doing, Lieutenant. Yes, sir. After you, sir. Thank you. Man, this is your new commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer.
2: Oh, I tell you it couldn't be Custer. Oh, I tell you it is. Who's
4: in charge here? This is my place, Custer. Sharp's my name. Oh, well, I'll see you later, Sharp. Lieutenant? Yes, sir. Put those two troopers there under arrest. Charge them with not being able to hold their liquor. They're supposed to be cavalrymen. Yes, sir.
2: Talking
4: about Now, then, Mr. Sharp, I want this bar closed right now. You can't close this bar, Custer. This place was licensed by the Secretary of War. Can't Personally. Close it. Lieutenant? Yes, sir. Turn out a section with sidearms. Close this place up. This bar's illegal business.
0: Boys? You know your rights. No one can tell you how to spend your pay, can they?
4: No! Wait a minute, man. I have to admit to you that Mr. Sharp is quite right. There's no legal reason why this bar should be closed. None whatsoever.
2: <laughs>
4: but if I find it open, starting one minute from now, Mr. Sharp is going to get the surprise of his life because I'm going to throw him through that big plate glass mirror behind his bar. All right, Custer, you win this time. All right, as you were, men. Now, look. I want you to understand I'm not doing this because I'm a blue nose. Maybe it's tough on me to go without a drink, too. (laughs) Maybe it's tougher. But this regiment has a job to do. We're responsible for 100,000 square miles of territory. And until we can honestly say that we're in shape to tackle that job, you won't catch me taking a drink either. I'm not asking you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. All right, men. And that's the way it's going to be in this regiment. And John? At ease, gentlemen. Sit down, will you? What I have to say won't take so very long, so we might as well be comfortable. Gentlemen, as officers, I'm proud of your work on maneuvers today. I don't think I've ever seen a finer-looking regiment. But I want to tell you this. A regiment is something more than just 600 fighting men. In a few days' time, we march to the west against Crazy Horse and his Sioux Raiders, a thousand of the best light cavalrymen on the face of the earth. Some of us will die. But the regiment will live on. Because a regiment has an immortal soul of its own. Now, if we can believe that, gentlemen, we'll have the kind of pride for which which men will endure anything and, if necessary, die with their boots on.
2: in columns of squadrons. Charge! Move!
0: There was a war and a leader of men against them called by his people Crazy Horse and there was proud fighting across the clean sweep of the plains and a peace at last, a proud and honorable peace.
4: Long hair, my people, Sue, Come to make peace with you. I have heard my brother's words. And I give my brother my word and the guarantee of the White Father. The shrine of your people's gods, the Black Hills, will never again be violated by white men so long as the peace be kept. My fighters will protect your land. And may your people dwell there forever in peace. Crazy Horse, you have my word.
2: Mm-hmm. Custer,
0: we meet again. Welcome back to Fort Lincoln.
4: Well, what brings you to Dakota, Mr. Tape? Business, Custer. Business. Officially, I'm the new government commissioner in these parts. Oh, I heard there was a new commissioner, but I... But you never dreamed to be me, did you, Custer? Well, let's let bygones be bygones. I'm not one to hold a grudge. Right. We'll shake on that. Good. Uh, what kind of a treaty is this that you put through with the Sioux?
0: I hold some stock in a railroad that was mighty anxious to get a right-of-way through the Black Hills.
4: Do you? Yeah. Well, I hold some stock in a regiment that's mighty anxious to keep its word, Mr. Tape. Uh, well, uh, I'm sure we can work it out, Custer. Fine. By the way, sir, I've arranged a little review of my regiment. Starts in just a moment. Perhaps you'd like to take this salute, would you? I'm honored, Custer. Fine. Let's step outside. right. After you, sir. Thank you. You've met all my officers, I believe. Yes. What do you mean to say you're staging a review without officers? Oh, yes. That's because I want you to see what soldiers can do by themselves, Mr. Tape, when they've got something to believe in. Oh. Well, this should be interesting. Signal them to start, will you, uh, Lieutenant Roberts? Yes, sir. Here they come now, sir. Good. There's the forward rank now, Mr. Tape. I want you to watch the discipline of these horsemen when they parade past us. No, uh, but they... Oh, good heavens, Custer! The forward man of the column. Had... Look at him! Why? Why he must be sick? Roberts, what's wrong there? Blessed if I know, sir. Signal him to fall out. They're coming right on, sir, on the gallop. They don't see me. Move.
2: Halt! Halt! I say, halt! They're drunk. Drunk! Your whole precious seventh
4: cavalry regiment is
5: drunk, Custer.
4: What's the meaning of this? I don't know, tape. But I'm going to find out.
2: All right, Sharp.
4: Come out from behind that bar, Sharp. I said, come out from behind that bar. Now, Custer, I reopened this bar on the authority of Commissioner Tape. Drinks were free to the men in honor of his visit. Free, were they? Well, here's one bottle they won't get. And here's another. And another. And another. Custer, you're destroying private property. These glasses, they're private property, too, aren't they? Custer, stop it. I'm just beginning. Now listen, Custer. That's nice brandy there. Good stuff, isn't it? And that nice big mirror back of the bar.
2: Custer!
4: Here's some for you, tape. Custer, you're mad. This bar was open on my authority. Your men are drunken sots. That's your responsibility, not Mr. Sharp. Sots! You call my men sots? Why, you cheap, boot I... politician!
2: Uh, let you me go, help!
4: You little parasite! Custer! Uh... Custer, let him go! This is the commissioner. Mr. Commissioner Ed? or not, I'm going to give him this.
2: No.
4: All right, gentlemen. I've right, finished, I think.
2: You'll be court-martialed for this, Custer. You'll be court-martialed in Washington! <laughs> Are
0: listening to They Died with Their Boots On, starring Errol Flynn as General George Armstrong Custer in a radio presentation of his new Warner Brothers motion picture on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. As our show continues, General Custer, played by Errol Flynn, stripped of his rank for striking a government representative, sits beside his wife on a train bound for Washington, where he faces a court martial.
2: All in all, 15 minutes
4: up. Well, Libby, nearly there. Yes, nearly there. Oh, Mr. Custer, there are some reporters outside. Hmm? I oh. don't want to see them. Uh, they seem very anxious to see you, sir. No, thank you. Uh, just as you say, Mr. Custer.
5: Is there anything you'd like me to get you, dear? Some cigars?
4: No, thank you, darling. Oh, you might get me a newspaper, would you? Oh, no, wait. There's a boy now. Hey there, boy.
0: Yes,
4: sir. At your service, you got a Chicago or Washington paper there? I got the Chicago Record Herald just in half an hour ago. All about the big gold strike in the Black Hills. The what?
5: Gold? In the Black Hills?
4: Bigger than California, they say. Thank you, sir. Libby, listen to this. The stampede started when an Indian squad tended a nugget of gold for supplies in the Western Railroad Land and Trading Company in Fort Lincoln. Thousands of people from Chicago and for alone... Thousands are... of
5: people? Why, that's what Mrs. Tape said.
4: What? She... Tape's wife? When did she say that? The
5: day you came back to the fort after the treaty had been signed, she advised me to buy Stock and Sharp's Company because thousands of people would be coming to the Black Hills. I thought she was joking because under the treaty, of course. Libby,
4: do you realize what this means? Why? They knew all about this gold rush before it happened. It means it's a fraud, the whole thing. Conductor. Oh yes, Mr. Custer. Bring those reporters in. But Mr. Custer, you just never said mind that... what I said. Bring him in. There's not much time. Right away, sir. George, you seem so excited. What is it? You'll hear in a moment, Donnie. Well, Mr. Custer, I'm glad you changed your mind. Uh, Mr. Custer, we'd like to get the story about your trouble out west. Uh, what about this fellow Tape? Weren't you rivals at West Point? Now, wait a minute, gentlemen. I'll tell you the whole story. Sit down, be quiet, and listen. Thank uh, you, sir. All set, sir. Let her go. Gentlemen, I accuse Mr. Tape, the government representative in the Dakota Territory. Of a deliberate and traitorous conspiracy to violate the treaty of the United States with the Sioux Indians. Mr. Custer, do you mean to say that... Please don't interrupt me, sir. I'll tell you all you want to know and more. You may quote me here throughout. I accuse not only Mr. Tape, but the administration in Washington as well of this treason against the United States. Isn't that going a little far, Mr. Custer? Well, I'll go further. These men are thieves and murderers as well. Do you want to be quoted on that? Write down every word of it. I can prove that Mr. Tape knew of this fake gold rush before it even happened. That he and Mr. Sharp invented it that they cold-bloodedly plotted to sacrifice the lives of innocent citizens. How's that, Mr. Custer? Because when those settlers go into the Black Hills looking for gold, they'll violate my treaty with the Indians. They'll be slaughtered to the last man. Will
0: you stake your reputation on your statement that there's no gold in the Black
4: Hills? Yes, I will. Furthermore, I intend to take this to President Grant himself. I intend to fight these criminal politicians and parasites to the last ditch. And, gentlemen, if I had known when I was first cashiered what I know now... I'd have hanged every single one of them from those gateposts of Fort Lincoln. I'm sorry, Mr. Custer, but the President will not see you. But I tell you, thousands of people are going to lose their lives. I'm sorry, Mr. Custer. Wait, where are you going? Get out of my way. But you can't. You can't go in there. No? General Grant? What in thunder do you mean, storming into my office like this? May I remind you, Mr. Custer, that I am the President of the United States? I'm not interested in the President of the United States. I'm interested in a certain soldier named Ulysses S. Grant. What is it? I want my regiment back, Grant. You'll get nothing from me but a court-martial. To the devil with a court-martial! I want my regiment back. Maybe you'll tell me why I should give it to you. Yes, I'll tell you. Because you know how a man feels when he's broken and left behind a regiment that's marching out to fight. You know, Grant, because you had a taste of it yourself once. Remember? Mm -hmm. How about it, Grant? Well, what are you waiting for? Go back and get your blasted regiment and do what you want to with it. Men. Beg to report, sir. The regiment's ready for action, sir. Right. Be along in a moment. Yes, sir. I, uh... General Custer, sir.
2: Hmm?
4: What is it, Roberts? Uh, I've been meaning to ask you ever since you got back to Fort Lincoln. uh, What do you honestly think our chances are of coming back from the little bighorn? Well, I... Why do you ask that? Well, sir, you seem my wife. We haven't been married very long, and I thought... Well, if there's not much hope of our getting back... Oh. Well, Roberts, we're... We're 600 men against the combined strength of every Indian fighting man in this territory. They're fighting to defend their last sanctuary, the Black Hills. And I don't blame them. But it's them or us. And I'm afraid it's going to be us. In other words... In other words, we haven't a ghost of a chance of coming back alive from the little beacon. That's what I thought, sir. Sir. Thank you, sir. Oh, uh, Roberts. Yes, sir. I don't think I'd tell you why if I were you. It'll all be easier for her that way, however it turns out. Perhaps you're right. Thank you, sir. Right. You can mount the columns now if you like. I won't be long. Yes, sir. We'll be waiting, sir. Right. George? Oh, come in, my dear. I'm just trying to soften up these old jackboots. Stiffened up a bit since the last time I was in them.
5: They might have done a better job polishing them up.
4: Well, I doubt if Crazy Horse'll notice.
5: <laughs> George, I. Here's your cartridge belt.
4: Thank you, my dear. Now then, anything I've forgotten? Field glasses. Yes. Compass. Got it. Your watch. Watch. Oh, here it is. You know, Libby. They ought to make you quartermaster general. Every time I go into the field, I'm the best-equipped man in the regiment. <laughs> oh, oh! look what I've done. What is it? Well, your, your little miniature. It's oh. broken. I'll be able to take this with me.
5: It'll be the first time you've ever gone on a campaign without this miniature.
4: Yes. Well, there isn't any time to fix it, and I can't take any chances on its being lost.
5: I'm afraid it doesn't look much like me anymore. Why,
4: it does.
5: You haven't changed, though. <laughs> I'm sure you're the only soldier in history who ever became a general without letting his belt out.
4: <laughs> oh, ho, you wait until we've finished up here. Washington's staff job for two years, and I'll be as fat as any old general. And twice as pompous.
5: <laughs> we'll grow old and fat together. It'll be wonderful.
4: Mm-hmm. Together.
5: And people will say... Don't tell me that life out in Dakota was such a hardship. The Custer's grew fat and happy on it.
4: You have been happy, here, yeah, haven't you, Libby?
5: Don't I look happy?
4: Yes. Well, let me see now. My orders.
5: I put them in that drawer.
4: I'll get them. Hey, what's this?
5: What? Oh, that... That's my diary.
4: My life with General Custer. I didn't know you kept it. Oh, it
5: it wouldn't interest you, dear. Just silly things that seem important to a woman.
4: May 16th, 1876. Tomorrow my husband leaves. And I cannot but feel that my last happy days are ended. A premonition of disaster such as I have never known is weighing upon me. I try to shut it into my heart. But it is almost unbearable. I pray God I be not asked to walk on alone.
2: I
5: probably wrote that or something like it every time you left me.
4: Of course. Of course I know. I often feel the same way myself.
5: When will you come back?
4: This time? Oh, five weeks. Six at the most.
5: See, that'll be... Say... June the 25th. Mm -hmm.
2: I'll
5: make an entry on that day, too. My husband returned today. Yes.
4: Goodbye, my dear.
5: Goodbye, George. Goodbye, General Custer.
2: Goodbye.
0: Some seven weeks later, after what was to go down in history as one of the tragic battles of all time, Custer's last stand, the War Department of the United States made a simple entry in its records. It is the life history of a soldier. Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer, born December 5th, 1839. brevetted Major General April 15, 1865. Killed in action June 25th, 1876. Thank you, Errol Flynn. We sincerely hope that your new motion picture, They Died With Their Boots On, enjoys the success it so well merits when it's released and shown throughout the country. And now we'd like you to meet our star, Errol Flynn.
2: <clears throat>
4: well, Errol, it's been grand having you with us tonight. <clears throat> Thank you, Clayton. It's been a busy week for me, of course. Uh finishing the picture in Hollywood and then flying on to New York for this radio version. But it's been a real pleasure working with you here on Cavalcade. Well, I was present last week at a
0: private showing of they died with their boots on, and I can sincerely say that Warner Brothers Studio did an extraordinary job. I wasn't just watching it, I was living it. Especially the exciting battle at the end of the film.
4: Now, that's one of the greatest spectacles I've ever seen on the screen. Well, it was a tough job, Clayton. I'm glad you liked it, but I don't think I'll ever forget shooting that battle scene. You know, I used to get a little nervous working with those Indians. You see, they were real Sioux from the Dakota Reservation, the actual descendants of the Braves who fought the original battle. Uh And I kept remembering I was dressed like General Custis. I just had my fingers crossed, (laughs) hoping they'd remember I was just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good you did. You'd probably be wearing a wig right now. Oh, yes, a bald one, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, Clayton, I hope tonight's cavalcade has given your listeners uh, an impression of what to expect when they see the new picture. It's been lots of fun, and before I go, may I say thank you to the cavalcade players? And I'm sure John Bennett will enjoy working on cavalcade just as much as I have. I understand she's your star next week. Oh, yes, Earl, she is.
0: We have a great story for Joan Bennett next week. It's Stark Young's colorful and romantic novel of the Old South, So
4: Red the Rose. Oh. Paramount made it into a wonderful movie. Uh, we hope you listen. Right. That's a date. Thanks again, Clayton. So long.
0: Don't forget, next week, The Cavalcade of America stars Joan Bennett in a radio version of Stark Young's great dramatic story of America's Southland, So Read the Rose. On tonight's program, the orchestra and the original musical score were under the direction of Don Voorhees. On The Cavalcade of America, your announcer is Clayton Collier, sending best wishes from DuPont.
3: And that was Errol Flynn in Selected Scene from They Died With Their Boots On, from the Cavalcade of America. Lovely. Right you are then, folks. It's been a dream to spend this time with you. Don't forget that if you want more of these shows, plus both days of the film festival, plus access to hundreds more hours of golden age entertainment, radio plays, reviews, documentaries, film club evenings, tons of other stuff, then all you have to do is sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecrets and unlock a whole world of bonus extras. Listen on to the end of the show for more details, or just follow the link in the show notes. Only takes a moment. Next time, we've got an Anne Vorschach special. Very exciting, so join me very soon, but until then, take superb care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner pledges start from as little as one dollar a month and in return you'll receive exclusive emails bonus episodes previews and eBooks. and every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron
2: thank you